0: If you like flipping through your Bibles a lot during a sermon, this one might be for you. (laughs) So have it handy. The first text will be in 2 Timothy 4. We'll we'll get there in just a few minutes. But you all remember this book, Dr. Seuss book, Are You My Mother? Raise your hand if you remember this from when you were a kid or you read it to your kids. Okay, there's plenty of people. So there's this mother bird, lays an egg, right, and it's getting ready to hatch, and so she goes out looking for food for her new baby chick. And by the time he hatches, she's not there, and he goes looking around, asking all kinds of creatures and even some machinery, are you my mother? He, he had a need for identity. You know, who I, am I? Do, do I even matter? He, he had an, a need for satisfaction, You know, I want things. Where where am I going to find those things? There's nothing wrong with wanting things. We're designed for desire. I mean, it'd be a theological error to say that, or to downplay the the human heart's desire for contentment and satisfaction. We're welcome to want. We're, We're created for contentment. The problem is we bow down to all kinds of things and ask, will you give me contentment? Are you my mother? And the little bird, he needed, he needed authority. He had a need for authority. He wanted to know, who's in charge here? Who's going to take care of me? Right? And because of sin in the fall, we are all born orphan children asking these questions. And there are a lot of wolves out there just waiting to answer them for you. There's been a recurring theme over the past several weeks, um, as I've preached to you, as Pastor Autry's preached to you, as, as Foster's preached to you, and it's been hitting along the lines of false teachers and, and false gospels. We, we haven't collaborated, by the way. The right hand had no idea what the left was doing. We didn't plan to, to preach through a, a series and take turns preaching on, on false teachers, so, I have to assume it, the Holy Spirit did intend for us to do that. But I don't, think it's, uh, I don't think it's a theme that's been exhausted. It's really important for all of us to understand three things that there are false teachers in the church today, how to recognize what these false teachings are and who these false teachers are so that we can be aware of them and avoid them, and to understand how inexcusable. God says it is. You know, I just feel like sometimes we just give these guys a pass, you know? Like we show them grace where God simply does not. He gives them no quarter, and neither should we. I want to say at the outset, I'm, I'm not at all assuming this morning or implying that any of you have bought into some of these false gospels or false teachings, okay? And if you have, maybe you find that out this morning. The Lord reveals that to you and and delivers you from that. Amen. That's, That's terrific. But whether you personally have bought into this kind of thing or not, your Christian friends have. Statistically, the majority of them have. Since we're talking about false teachers, I want to contrast those with good preachers and teachers. Good preachers and teachers are called to shepherd God's flock. And so here's the main idea of the sermon this morning. Good shepherds carry both a rod and a staff. And it's short so that it sticks in your memory, but let me, let me expound on it just a little bit. A good shepherd will point you to Jesus and not himself. He is protecting you for Jesus and leading you to Jesus. And he might use the staff to kind of poke and prod along the sheep just to keep them going in the right direction. Or he might even use the little hook thing to grab you by the neck and pull you back in with the flock if you're wandering astray. And the rod is for beating the wolves to death or until they stop nibbling on Christ's sheep. A good shepherd has both a rod and a staff. Two weeks in a row now, You've heard some statistics read to you from the pulpit that are alarming. They just seem to keep coming up. And so here they are again. 66% of evangelicals, that's people who claim to be Bible-believing Christians, 66% say people are good by nature. 62% say God accepts all religions. 62% 62% also say the Holy Spirit is the force. 75% say God created Jesus. Who are you most mad at? The orphan children desperately looking for their mother? or the ravenous wolves pretending to be sheep that have led these people astray. There are false teachers in the church, and there are ideas and philosophies, false gospels, and false Christs creeping into the church, especially in North America, and the rod needs to come out. I've got three points for you this morning regarding false teachers and teaching. The risk, the response, and the remedy. The risk to the church, the response of the church, and the remedy for the church. The risk. You know, know, what's the problem? What's so dangerous? How's it affect me? The response how are Christians, and especially pastors who are called to be shepherds of God's flock, supposed to respond to these false teachers and teach them? And the remedy, what will ultimately fix it? Or how can you guard yourself from the wolves that seek to devour you? We're going to look at several texts that address this topic this morning, but the main text, as I said, is going to be from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. For the time will come when people will not endure sound doctrine... But wanting to have their ears tickled will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. They will turn away from listening to the truth and they will wander off into myths. That was in Timothy's day. That's why Paul's telling Timothy about it. That okay? was true in his day. It wasn't just something that was going to happen 2,000 years later. And we look in other areas of scripture and we see that there have always been false prophets and there will always be false prophets until Jesus returns again. All right, But this this is true in our day. It's just not the first time and it won't be the last. Paul says people will not endure or tolerate sound doctrine. They won't want the apostolic teaching handed down to them by Jesus himself they'll they'll eventually get bored with it they want something fresh something new something exciting and different and as their demand for it increases so will the supply they will gather for themselves they will hire teachers that tickle their ears with what they want to hear they will not be interested in the truth and they will wander into myths That's where we are today. Now, I don't know how much you know about postmodernism, but I would expect next to nothing. And and that's not because you're not smart enough to figure it out, it's just because it's so hard to pin down, it's it's almost impossible to define, and that's, that's by design, right? The term itself is protected from definition by the idea itself. And you almost have to trace it back through the last few hundred years to, to see how it's evolved to get a sense of it. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time doing that this morning, but do get this, okay, catch this. So much of what we have now is a reaction against what came before. All right? And so before the Enlightenment, right, this pre-Enlightenment era, you had the impossibility of unbelief. The impossibility of unbelief in the supernatural. It was not socially acceptable to say that you didn't believe in the supernatural. You were shy about unbelief. Of course there was a God. Of course the supernatural exists. Of course there's things that we can't explain. Right? And then, after the Enlightenment, think, you know, late 1700s at this point, we move from an impossibility of unbelief to a possibility of unbelief. It was now... Intellectually respectable to be an unbeliever. You know, sure, there's things we haven't figured out yet. But give it time. Science will figure it out. We'll get there. And then you had the late modern period after World War II. We moved to an impossibility of belief. Enough with the fanciful stuff. No more childish stories. If it can't be proven scientifically, it doesn't exist. And then, the postmodern turn, a desire for reenchantment, a welcoming of mystery, an awareness that not everything fits perfectly in these neat little boxes. There's something bigger than me and something even bigger than all of us, and you can't explain it. Your children will probably not encounter many atheists in adulthood. The age of reason is is gone. They will encounter as many religions and philosophies as they meet people because that's what postmodernism is. People are starving for personal connection to the spiritual. And do you know how easily they're going to find it? Someone just found a a preacher on YouTube to tickle their ears. There's another one. Someone just got the chills listening to a Bethel song. Joel Osteen just started streaming live this Sunday morning. And you know, he's he's just so positive and upbeat and he makes me feel better about myself. Everything they could ever want, everything people could ever want is right there at their fingertips. There are teachers out there offering people everything they want, and it's not Jesus. God has a lot to say about those teachers and the damage they can do. And y'all, we have to be able to realize... Some of the loudest voices and the largest audiences, the people with the most likes, the most subscribers, the largest followings, the people with the most eyes and ears on them, the one who have most people's attention are false teachers. They're teaching a false gospel. They preach a different gospel. One of the reasons it's so rampant in the church that we go after stuff like this and we end up with like statistics that I just read is because pastors and preachers who know better don't talk about it from the pulpit. We're believing there's this 11th commandment again, that thou shalt be nice. Never say anything negative about anybody else's teaching or anybody else's ministry. Just just preach the gospel and stay in your lane. And many preachers do, and it's allowing a huge drift, theological drift in the church. And we end up with people that form those statistics I read to you. What does God say about false teachers? Point number one: the risk to the church. Here's where we start flipping a little bit. Matthew chapter seven, verse fifteen. You're gonna to have to be quick. I can't wait on you. Matthew chapter seven, verse fifteen. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Acts chapter twenty, verse twenty-eight through thirty. Paul says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. He goes on to say, Therefore, be alert. Here's the risk they are insiders. These false teachers, capable of this damage, look and sound like Christians. They say words like Bible and Jesus and Holy Spirit. They look like sheep, but they're wolves. And you know, it used to be, that wolves in the church were localized. The, the only way you would really come into contact with them is by being close, close to them. They had to be in your town, in your church. So it's always been a danger. They've always been around. But They had to be in your town, in your church. How much easier is it now when they're in your pocket? You, they don't even have to come looking for you. You go to them. YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, podcasts, blogs, whatever else it is. Right? Sheep just parading themselves before a pack of hungry snarling wolves. It's just so easy. And all of you are at risk because of that fact. Because it is so easy. John says in 1 John chapter 4, It's just not. I'm not disagreeing with John here at all. That's not what I'm saying. What what I am saying is that there are people in pulpits today, y'all, who will say all of that, and they are the antichrists John is mentioning here. Their aim is the glorification of man, not God. They are selling you your human potential to be great people and do great things. That's what they're selling. And it's so enticing. I mean, they appear to have good news. And there are Christians just eating this stuff up because the message seems so positive and and full of love. It acknowledges God, and it uses Christian lingo. Perhaps the best example of this I can think of is the law of attraction. You heard of this? The law of attraction. This is really what's behind All of the prosperity gospel stuff. It's not just a misunderstanding of scripture. It is a twisting and a perversion of it. That's what it is. It's important for you to understand. It's all over the place. The majority of your friends who go to Bible-believing churches, y'all, I would bet my shoes, half of them believe this on some level. It is a godless, pagan, New Age practice that has its roots all the way back in Egypt and Babylon. It's nothing new under the sun, right? It's the same lie that Eve bought into in the garden that we're all little gods with untapped potential. And it makes God the universe. You hear that term getting tossed around a lot? Well, the universe just is working in such a way... What? It's the universe. It's the force. And their gospel, their good news, is that there is divine power within you that can be unleashed through aligning yourself with this force, this universe. So our problem isn't that we're sinners and the solution isn't that we must be made right with a holy God we've offended. It's that we are ignorant of our divine natures and the solution is personal enlightenment. An ascent to the knowledge that we all possess the fullness of of deity already. It already exists within us, we just have to tap into it. And if we just take hold of Jesus, we can use him to tap into it and draw out from it what it is we're really after, and it's not Jesus. It's a feeling and and an experience it's, it's something that's that's about me and for me. We just use Jesus as the instrument to get it. Faith and love, which scriptures talk about a lot, are just powers that we use to manipulate reality. That's how we materialize things that we want in our lives. It's how we envision things for ourselves and, and just claim them in the name of Jesus. Suffering, pain, wars, all of these are just the result of the mistaken belief that we're all less than God's. And if we could all just find the divinity within and be our essential selves, we could achieve a spiritual utopia where everything is good. And so Jesus isn't the way He's the way shower. He he came and he lived and died to show us what is possible for you. He showed us how we could be the Christ. Blasphemy. Heresy. Y'all Joyce Meyer isn't just wrong. She's a heretic. Joel Osteen is not just not my cup of tea. He's poison. Bethel Church is not just a little left of sinner and just a little bit more charismatic than I'm comfortable with. They practice witchcraft. T.D. Jakes, Kenneth Copeland... They're not just wrong, they're not just mistaken, they're wicked. Oprah Winfrey, and y'all say, well, wait a minute, Josh, she's not a religious leader. Yes, she is. Watch one episode of her Super Soul Sunday. She is the new high priestess of New Age Christianity. They're liars, all of them, and they're devouring people. Here's the danger, here's the risk. This false teaching convinces unbelievers that they're safe when they're not. And it can turn a believer's life upside down and cause lots of problems for them for for a season. It can cause them to lead other people astray too. You know, if you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, Jesus says, no one can snatch you out of my hand. You're not going to lose your salvation, but your life can be a mess for a season. You know, the sheep can get nibbled on and traumatized. And you need pastors who can spot a wolf and get his rod ready. God takes false teaching very seriously, especially the kind that claims to be from him. When people are saying they're speaking on behalf of God, and they are not. What happened in Deuteronomy 13 we saw? pretty severe, pretty severe consequence for that. So why don't we take it seriously? Why do we tend to give a pass to people who pervert the truth of the gospel? Why do we even think there's a category for them somewhere in Christianity? When what they profess to believe is anything but Christian. But we play nice with them. They just stay on their side of the sandbox and everything's fine. Now, there's a lot more that can be said about some of these specific teachings that are creeping into the church. It's, it, it's everywhere. And again, it's where we get the statistics like the ones we've shared with you about what American evangelicals believe. And that's why there's going to be a part two of the sermon called Another Gospel. So that we can look more intently on, on the ideas and philosophies specifically that are disguised in Christianity today. It's too important just to gloss over and, and not mention and really break it up a little bit. So that's why, that's why we broke it into two parts. It was either that or I'd preach for an hour and a half this morning. And you know, funny, funny story about that. A story I like anyway, while we're on the subject of long sermons. In like 16th century Scotland, when Protestants were just just being destroyed, I mean, just severe persecution, starved to death, frozen to death, kids ripped away from their mothers and fathers, people dragged naked behind horses through the streets, I mean, bad stuff, right? Their pulpits and their churches would have like this little place where they'd set an hourglass, you know, and the preacher would come up there and start a sermon, he flipped flip the hourglass over and he would preach until the sand ran out, and everybody could see that the sand ran out, and in the congregation they would yell, more! And he'd flip it over and keep on preaching. Maybe one day, right? (laughs) Point number two, the response of the church. In Galatians 1.8, Paul says the gospel is the gospel. There is no other. If anyone comes to you bringing some other gospel, doesn't matter who, even if an angel shows up claiming to have another gospel... They deserve to go to hell. There is no other gospel. There never was any other gospel. And there will never be any other gospel, Paul says. Paul's a good shepherd. He understands his responsibility given to him by Christ to protect the sheep. Not just feed them. Protect them. You know? And sometimes that means Paul has to raise his voice and confront Error and hypocrisy. Peter, John, Jesus, all did the same. 26 out of 27 books we have in the New Testament address false teachers and teaching in the church. Paul called out false teachers by name publicly. He wanted people to know who they were so that they could stay away from them. He calls out a guy named Demas in 2 Timothy chapter 4, a guy named Phygelus and Hermogenes in 2 Timothy 1.15, Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, Paul says, in order that they may learn not to blaspheme, 1 Timothy 1, 19 through 20, Hymenaeus and Philetus, 2 Timothy 2. Why did Paul throw these men under the bus? Why didn't he just keep his head down and preach the gospel? Why the negativity? Because they were ravenous wolves. And Paul loved the sheep. They pervert and change the gospel. They preach a different Jesus. They change the truth of scripture into something that doesn't glorify God, but that accommodates us. Paul says if anybody preaches that, let him be accursed. Not just ignored, not just dismissed, but refuted and called out and condemned by God. Paul says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ, 2 Corinthians 10. You and I are called to call people, the nations as a matter of fact, to obey Christ. To obey Christ. Not to find their inner selves. Not to be a better version of themselves. Not to put out those positive vibes in the world. The answer is not in you. And if anybody tells you it is, it doesn't matter if they say they're a Christian or not. They are lying to you. They are wolves that need to be driven back with the rod. And a shepherd carries both the rod and the staff. Paul's such a good shepherd. Look at what he says in 2 Corinthians 11, beginning at verse 4. He says, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Paul says, I'm worried about y'all. He says, I married you to Jesus. And every time some attractive, flirty little counterfeit comes around, You're tolerating it. Why? If we were to answer that question today, it's because, one, American Christians are by and large biblically illiterate. Just just are. And number two, because the pastors who know better are too concerned with keeping their jobs than to pick fights with wolves. They don't want to rock the boat because they don't want to get wet. And y'all, I'm just going to tell you, some of your favorite celebrity pastors are the hirelings Jesus said will run away when the wolves come for you. Because standing in the gap might cost them a book deal. And then the faithful ones that you have standing ready with the rod to defend you from the wolves when they come, they're the ones that just... Troublemakers, just... Get accused of being contentious and unloving and ungracious. Paul said, let those people be accursed. Listen to what Peter says here in 2 Peter 2, verse 1. What's his response? How's, How's he talk about the false teachers? He says, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Peter isn't just keeping his head down and staying in his lane because he takes the protection of the sheep seriously. How will you know the false prophets from the true ones? How how will you be protected from the wolves? Good shepherds carry a rod and a staff. They don't let the wolves go on pretending that they're sheep. They draw your attention to them. They point them out and say, danger stay away point number three the remedy for the church what's the remedy for the church biblical literacy know your bible I mean we, we, we could hang it up there sermon, sermon over <laughs> right? That, that's it Know your Bible. We're not going to end it right there, though, because I want you to know. I want you to hear what your God says about you, ordinary little sheep. This is what your father says about you, his children. 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 20. But you have been anointed by the Holy One. Past tense, not still waiting on it to happen. Done deal, been done, did. You have been anointed by the Holy One. You have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And because you know no lies of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If, you. if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he's made to us eternal life. And he says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. You have knowledge, you have the truth. You, Have the Holy Spirit. And if you have the Son, you have the Father also. Nothing else is required. There's nothing else for you to grab onto or to tap into. There's no greater or more meaningful or more fulfilling thing out there you still need to find or experience. And all of that reaching... For something instead of Jesus or something on top of Jesus is just our temptation to outgrow God and become God's ourselves. That's where all of that comes from. Reading your Bible and sitting under teachers that invite you to examine them according to the Bible. That's the church's remedy. Read your Bible and be the Berean. Test everything by the word, even here at King's Church. How can you know whether you can trust me to assist you in your spiritual formation? How can you know you you, you can trust me or Pastor Autry or your elders, men, to help you in leading your families, to help you pursue the Lord? You can't unless you know your Bible and you can stack what I say up against it and see if I'm worth the paper my seminary degree is printed on. Don't think that degree is is the word of God. It's not. Don't, Don't trust a good reputation and a warm smile. Test these things. Remember that the wolves look like sheep. And I can say with great confidence the leadership at King's Church does desire to lead you in the one true and everlasting way. And how can I say that? Well, because we don't stand up here every Sunday just giving you good advice. We give you good news. Good news that begins and ends with Christ. Not you. We're not exciting you with fresh and new ideas. We're always pointing you back to the same old bloody cross. We will never ask you to take our word for it. Amen, Matt? Amen? We will never ask you to take our word for it. We will always ask you to take anything we say and test our teaching against the word of the one true and living God. And if we are ever found preaching a false gospel or a false Christ, run fast and far away. Take as many people with you as you can. But there's only one way you can know. And that's To not take my word for it, but to take God's word for it. It is our desire at King's Church to connect you directly to God in his word. To to bind you to the apostolic teaching. To the faith delivered once for all to the saints. The gospel we give you is the only gospel. Because it tells us who we really are. What Jesus really did and why God really did it. Who you are. Hopeless and lost. In desperate need of a rescuer. Jesus is the only rescuer. What did Jesus really do? He was your substitute. He didn't die just to settle some weird debt between him and the devil. And he didn't die to show you a better way to live. He died to satisfy the wrath of a holy God that you deserved. And why did God really do it? Because of his grace. And for his own glory, not yours. If you hear a different gospel, you call shenanigans. It should sound foreign to your ears. It should smell like the foul breath of a ravenous wolf breathing down your neck like you're his next meal. The only way you can know, y'all, is if you get this in you down in your bones. It is living and active, sharper than any two edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That Dr. Seuss bird, he was looking for his mother. Are you my mother? Because he needed to know why he mattered. He knew he had needs that needed to be satisfied. And he wanted to know, who's in charge here? Who's responsible for me? This is where you find out who you are. This is where your satisfaction is. This is your authority. God is your father. And you can always find him right here. Father, your word tells us there are none who seek you, but it seems like everyone is searching for something. Orphan children searching for meaning, for satisfaction, and a trustworthy authority. And they'll look in the most absurd places, but I pray you would bring them to the truth of your gospel. Lord, send them faithful Preachers who stand firmly on your word and will not be moved by popular opinion. Prepare their hearts even now to receive your word wherever it can be found. May they know they have been born again. God, I pray against these false teachers in our day, Lord, that their destruction would be swift. They have spoken words on your behalf that you have not uttered, and with an authority. You have not given them. Make them powerless. Shame them before the audiences they've gathered for themselves and cause them to fall on their faces in repentance. Bring glory to yourself in your church and in all of the world, for all of it is yours. We pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. And in the magnificent name of your son, Jesus. Amen.